Well, good morning, everybody. We have two Sundays before our week of listening prayer. And it's an opportunity to take a few moments on each of those two Sundays to uh, help you understand the process and the importance. At the same time, I've got a little uh, series running of examining the book of Hebrews. And so it's another one of these combo things today. We, we work the two together and fortunately, where we're up to in the book of Hebrews lends itself to two weeks of pondering listening prayer. What a coincidence. (laughs) Anyway, this is Hebrews 3 and 4. So this is the fourth time we've looked at that. So just understand we're working those two things together. We're going to take you to the book of Hebrews chapter 3 and read the first 15 or so verses. Just stop here and there to point out a few features. Hopefully that print is large enough. So um, how about this first six verses here, we read alternatively. I'll read one, you read two, and uh, but here and there we might we might need to stop. And let's read the six straight off. Uh, Therefore holy brothers who share in a heavenly calling consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more glory than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in, his, uh, in our hope. A couple of features to point out to you in this first of three sections. We're going to get to verse 15. Uh, and yet not take long about it. To start with, back to chapter one, a command, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. I often spend a long time wherever I do conferences explaining just this very thing. Uh, Can I do this in a minute? We needed, the human race had huge need and we needed a high priest someone who could offer to God the sacrifice needed for our sins. Christ became that high priest and he himself was the sacrifice. But to become high priest, he had to be qualified. And to be qualified, he had to be made an apostle. So briefly, what's an apostle? It is someone who has given up all their own rights, sold themselves out completely, to the one who is over them, become nothing but the servant of another person. So they do not represent themselves. They represent another. They don't speak for themselves. They speak for another. They don't do what they please. They do what pleases the other. They are nothing but the complete bond servant, the love servant. Jesus became the servant that is the slave of God the Father became a man. He said himself, he said a lot of things that were actually indicating his, 
his, his apostolic status. He himself said, I have not come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That sent is apostolos. He said, I do not speak on my own. I only speak the things I hear my father saying. It's because he'd been made an apostle. But to be an apostle, to be made an apostle, the right person has to be chosen. It requires prior relationship. He was a son. And it's the same in the church today. It's the same regarding the, when Christ came, of course, he had to reproduce himself. He had to raise apostles. He began with 12. They became sons to him as a father. They became the bond servants of Jesus. From that point on, not representing themselves, but living only for Christ. That's what an apostle is. Of course, it's a bit more. They, are, they then carry the authority of the person they represent. Jesus carried the authority of the Father. The 12 apostles of the Lamb carried the authority of Jesus. Same principle is true today. So this is our introductory bit here. And, and um, anyway, we now learn a little more of Jesus. Verse 2, also very apostolic insight. Jesus, it says, if you look again, was faithful to him who appointed him. Uh, you, this... This, um, there is unfortunately in the world, in various places, I, I, uh, this very unfortunate outcome where, you know, um, a pastor will raise someone to be a son, uh, thinks they're a son, but actually the spirit of sonship isn't in them, and then they, they get betrayed. You know, this guy will go off, study his own church, take half the people. That kind of thing does happen, some nations more than others, but that's an uncleanness. And part of the apostolic message that we've been given to take to the world is to, is to teach a better understanding of how the church is structured, how our hearts are meant to be structured, especially toward one another. Apostolic Christianity is very relational and it's very faithful. Faithful to the one who appointed you. Um, we can tell a lot more about that, but that's uh, not really where we're going today. So um, we said the book of Hebrews makes a great deal of a great many comparisons between Christ and all of the things that were in Judaism because the book of Hebrews written to Jews who'd become Christians was arguing in favor of how much better the new covenant is regarding the, than the old. And um, in this little passage here, of course, it's comparing Jesus to Moses, Christ having much more glory than Moses. But it makes sense something about Moses too. Verse 5, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. That's where we come in. That's the really the big question today over every heart is whether you, if, if you're older, have you maintained this real faithfulness as a servant in God's house to walk with the Son of God? And if not, you refresh your heart today, you renew your heart. Young people, this is the challenge today, to become truly the bond servant of the Lord Jesus, faithful to him as a servant in, in all things, not just in a few things that please you, but in all things, faithfulness to the word of God. Well, this is the opening of that chapter. However, scattered throughout the book of Hebrews are a number of passages that are clear warnings, strong warnings to believers. There are six passages in particular, and on some other occasion, I'll point them all out to you. But we have, uh, we have something of that in this passage too. If you look now at verse six, the last of the verses up there on the screen, 
But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And by the way, that's what comes into the heart of Christians. We're not just servants, we're sons. We're to be servants in God's house, faithful in all things as Moses was. But we have a, this wonderful advantage with the spirit of the son of God in us, that we're sons in the house. We've been adopted, as David said earlier. And, and here, is, here is a warning. Um, it's not just implied. There's a bold statement here. It says, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Uh, instead of saying confidence and boasting, we could say we fold, hold fast to our faith and our confession. That's really saying the same thing. The, the scripture over and over implores believers to cling to their faith, stand firm in their confession all their days. It's not, an, it's not just an early confession. It's not just having a moment in your life where you believed in the Son of God, said, I believe, even get baptized, but then you don't live for him. Or you live for him for a little while, but then you fade off, you lose interest or the like. Now, the Bible's very clear when that happens, you're not actually in the faith. The Bible over and over says you're only in the faith if you remain in the faith. You stand fast in your confidence, continue in your confession, you walk with Jesus. That, that means you are in the hope. Otherwise, the, the hope isn't really there. Now, this is where then uh, we come to a most interesting passage. Uh, verse 7 to verse 11. Therefore, so based on what's already been said, that's why it says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. I want to come back to this kind of thing in a moment from another passage. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers. Moving on, verse 12. Lest there be in you, in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. Now, that's an interesting phrase, as long as it is called today. That's, that immediately causes us to think of a scripture that Paul wrote, quoting the Old Testament. In other words, this passage here is also alluding to the same thing in the Old Testament, where it says, today is the day of salvation. It's referring to a long day, which we know is the day of Christ, from the day of his resurrection until the day of his coming. That is the day of Christ. It's the day of salvation. It's the day when gospel grace is always freely available. There does come a day when it's too late. And that day has ended. But whatever it's called today, this verse says, um, exhort one another as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. He's just repeated himself twice in this short passage. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts 
as in the rebellion. There were many stories in that 40 years that you could think, well, which one was he referring to? Or was he referring to the whole thing? Well, both. He was referring here to the holy, whole, the lot, the 40 years, but it's also a reference to Korah's rebellion. The interesting thing about Korah's rebellion was it was a religious rebellion. Korah was a high-ranking spiritual leader in Israel. And uh, he, he developed some resentment that Moses and Aaron had some kind of special spiritual status. And, and his attitude was basically, we're as good as you are. You know, our, our word's as good as yours. Well, it may well have been, but the Lord had appointed them to leadership. So this was Korah's rebellion. And he led a lot of people. He led a lot of people into rebellion. And it was disastrous. But, um, and it was dealt with. You know, severe judgment by the Lord in dealing with that. That's not really our subject for today, but that's the rebellion referred to. They had hardened their hearts, but he'd hardened his hearts over spiritual issues. It wasn't over, you know, material issues like uh, you've got a better house than me. It wasn't that kind of jealousy or resentment. It was actually over spiritual position. It was actually over the authority of leadership in the church that that rebellion arose. And, um, and so today in, in Christian hearts, you know, all kinds of temptations come. We're meant to deal with them, keep our hearts pure, walk with Christ. Promotion comes from the Lord. And he, in his wisdom, chooses where to put each one of us if we allow him. But the principle here is, he says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. There are other ways to harden hearts. And that's what brings us to the, the subject of listening prayer. In 1997, when we as a church set apart in, one, in February of 97 a week for what was meant to be revival prayer, we were, we were, and, and our prayer meeting then didn't start at a lazy 7 a.m., but at a vibrant 6 a.m., but I'm glad it's 7. <laughs> and uh, it was 6 a.m. to 5 p.m., and uh, it was Monday to Friday, whereas this time it's seven Monday to Saturday. So no, you're doing okay, David. But, uh, but Saturday we need because, you know, sometimes during the week people are working. But still, what we had done was we, we'd already had a month of prayer in which we prayed three times a day, had, had prayer meetings, but it wasn't enough. And we wanted to focus prayer for a week and really cry out to God from 6 a.m. to 5 p.m. And anybody could come and go all day long as they wished. And I'd said to the church, it's to be, you know, a hot, strong revival prayer meeting. I urged everybody, come in, pour in, open your mouth, you know, pray. But when we met, the Lord put us to silence. It was a miracle, a different kind of miracle. One of the most sovereign things I've ever seen the Lord do. How, how, do, you, how do you silence Christians and, and they sit for a whole week without praying a prayer and all the while knowing they're in the presence of God, they're doing exactly what the Lord wants. We didn't even know what was going on at first. We went, we went three hours without a word spoken and yet it was God. If he could close the mouths of lions in the den for Daniel, I guess he could close the mouths of Christians and he did. But I'm sitting there, it's amazing how 
the Lord will speak to you when he's not talking to you. He has ways. And I'm sitting there, an hour goes past 6 a.m. to 7, and you think, you know, not a prayer has been prayed. We purposely at 6 a.m. stepped into the presence of the Lord. There's always that opening prayer meeting, that the prayer rather, the formal prayer that says, Lord, we are your people and this is why we're here. You have to do that. It, but as soon as I said that, asked the Lord to take over the meeting, he took over and closed all the mouths. We sit in silence for an hour. I wonder what's going on. We sat in silence another hour, started to get some inklings. Third hour, oh, it was becoming clear to me. Sitting open on my knee at this time was a passage from Matthew 13. And I want, to, I want you to see in it some of the similarities. Now in Matthew 13, the first thing recorded is that Jesus told the parable of the sower. So and forth to sow. You know what it is. In that chapter, it's three, verse three to verse nine. Won't take time to read it. But, but seed is thrown out and goes on to four different kinds of ground. The, um, the, you know, the, the ground that was stony, the, the ground that was the hard path, the ground that was full of weed seed that sprung up and the good soil ground. So Jesus tells this parable. So I went out to sow and he, some seeds fell here and this happened and some fell here and that happened. And then we come to verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Now why is this? They're all Israelites, all been raised in the synagogue, all been raised in the word of God, all been raised with prayers and worship and temple worship and sacrifices, and they've all been doing that. But some, he was willing for them to, uh, to receive more light and others, it's not been given to them. God had already judged hearts. He explains more. Verse 12, for the one who has will more be given. This is where listening prayer, we find, opens up this amazing uh, spiritual space, if you like, where somehow more starts to be given. To, one, to him who has, to the one who has will more be given and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away. When you neglect the means of grace, you dry out and the things that you were formerly, that formerly you had some strength in, suddenly you find you're weak in. It's not just that you become drier or harder you actually lose things. It, it drains away without you realizing it. You have to keep yourself rich in grace. You have to keep yourself alive. You have to maintain in the, yourself in the confidence of your confession, alive in Christ. But from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away. There was something wrong with the hearts of these people. This is why I speak to them in parables, he says there in verse 13. Because seeing, 
They do not see. In other words, here are people who've been every Sabbath in the synagogue hearing the words of Isaiah say, seeing other people worship say, they're seeing, but they're seeing nothing. They're seeing outwardly, but they're not seeing inwardly. They're they're seeing the system, but they're not seeing the grace. They're hearing words, but they're not hearing God. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you'll indeed see, but never perceive. And now we come to the very verses that I was staring at open on my knee the first morning of listening prayer. Because the big question is why? What's going on and why? Why are we sitting here in the presence of God and he will not allow us to speak? Because what was really clear at that point was he wanted us to sit there and wait and listen until he was willing to speak and he would not let us speak to him. Interesting position to be put in. But this is history. This occurred. And many of you were there in that week. Anyway, this is the scripture we come to right here now. Matthew 13. This was the bit that was open on my knee. We can take a look at it. Pop up um, just 15. Verse 15. Let's just see verse 15. For this people's heart, he was now taught, he was now using this scripture concerning Israel in the day of Christ to give me some insight with respect to where we were at, the people of peace. You will indeed hear, uh, sorry, for this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes they've closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So staring at this, particularly this bit, for this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. Really what the Lord was saying was, you're not listening. The funny thing was, church life had been great. (laughs) We... Through that period, and we just had the biggest victories. In fact, from 92 through 96, our church was full of prophecy and words of knowledge and interpretation of dreams. And we'd, we'd had miracles beginning in, um, beginning in 1988. We just saw more and more miracles, lots of healings, astounding healings. We, we could pray a prayer on Sunday morning and someone anywhere in the world could be healed. Remember that one of a fellow out here in, uh, great, in, in Keppel Bay uh, got hit with a propeller. He was in the water and a propeller chopped away a third of his skull, a third of his brain. He's in hospital, barely alive. They thought he was going to die. He happened to be the brother of a new convert in the church. They said even if he lives, he'd be a vegetable. We prayed on Sunday morning. That fellow came out of the hospital, still missing brain and skull, but perfectly normal. We had miracles every Sunday. Occasionally have someone fall off their chair drunk in the Holy Spirit. 
Worship was phenomenal. In those days, banners were the things. It was very colorful. We had some huge banners, you know. Sunday mornings were great. People glued to the floor, sometimes under the power. And, but it was in 1992, I especially prayed. I thought, we haven't enough prophecy in the church. I prayed to release it. And over two years, we saw an ever-increasing incident in the church of people getting words from the Lord, hearing God. And we learned about interpreting dreams. So it was alive. And missions, we were active in missions. Finance was good. Sunday mornings were a delight. And it was of this church, that, that is, it was of that church, the one I'm describing, that the Lord said, you're not listening. Your ears have grown dull. Your hearts have grown hard. I wouldn't have thought that to be the case, but I took his word for it. <laughs> and that's, that's always true of us, isn't it? We always think we're better than we are. The fact is, he was trying to tell us something and he was trying to get the church on a certain way of running and it hadn't been happening. This was 97. It turned out he'd been trying for four years to get us as a people to run in a certain way and it had been resisted and resisted and resisted. Not by a few, but just by things in general and particularly by a majority of the leaders who were just dull to what the Lord wanted. All the while excited about the Lord. So anyway, the Lord's attitude was, I want you to sit here and shut up until I'm good and ready to talk to you. Now he didn't say shut up, right? This was, this is me putting it into the vernacular. Uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was polite words to that effect, shall we say. <laughs> And so we sat, the sense was the Lord wanted to tell us something. We'd become dull of hearing. We didn't lack anointing. The church was full of anointing. It was full of life. It was full of power, but we simply weren't hearing something important the Lord wanted us to know and to, to do and to confess. We were busy about many good things in the Lord, but focused in, in our own way of doing what we wanted and not really hearing him. And he said, and you become proud. We'd had big victories. We just had huge breakthroughs in prayer. The most amazing outcomes in spiritual warfare. You've talked about we destroyed powers in those days. What was going on then? How was it that we were having victories in prayer, getting information, acting on it, it was accurate, getting prophecy, seeing healings. The truth is, these are the gifts of God. And I learned that the gifts of the Spirit, prophecy and healing and miracles and faith and tongues, you can have all of this and still not be listening to the Lord. You can, you can have words of knowledge, words of wisdom, discerning of spirits. You can interpret dreams. You can prophesy. You can have visions and still not be a person really humbly listening to the Lord. Why? Because he freely gives gifts. These are the gifts of the Spirit. It's like the iceberg. There's only got 10% of, of itself stuck out the top of the water. Gifts of the Spirit are just a part. They're just the, the, the evident part, the part showing, the part visible to us all that he freely gives all the time, no matter what the state of the church. 
But what the Lord wants to do, what He wants to say, the miracles He wants to work, the transformations He wants to bring, 90% of most of what the Lord wants to say and do, you will not get, you will not see unless you really walk with God, humbling the heart, paying attention, tuning in, really listening, seeking His face. Very often He has something to say that we are just not hearing. And it takes stillness in the presence of the Lord until He's good and ready to speak. And that's what He had to say to us. He had something to say and He wanted us to sit in His presence until He was ready to say it. Really, it was until He thought we were ready. We had to come to a place of humility. We sat and listened all day Monday. He never said a word. We sat and listened all day Tuesday. He never spoke. We sat and listened all day Wednesday. I remember Wednesday in particular because there was a young mum in the church. She was 35 or 40, you know, she had some kids and she was a vibrant, happy person, always a talker. And uh, I remember Wednesday, it was around lunchtime and, and, and anyone who hadn't been in the meetings didn't know what was going on. We didn't broadcast it. And so she was one, didn't know what was going on. But Wednesday she comes in for the first time around about noon and opens the door, which was way down there. And and door closes behind her and she saunters down the aisle, you know, happy person, sits down, ready to pray. And, you know, just put the silence just like that instant. And every single person that came in all those days, same thing, just instantly put the silence. It was a great work of the Spirit of God. Thank the Lord. But He gave us something of huge power that we have not made anywhere near enough use of. He didn't speak Wednesday. I had a sense as I'm listening on Thursday morning, he has something to say. He's going to talk today. Late morning, he's going to talk. And sure enough, and of course, our, our, our procedure was, we, we would listen in silence for an hour and a half. You, you cultivate this atmosphere, this sense of you're sitting in the presence of God with a, with a heart of adoration, but it's as if he's about to speak and you're, you're, just, you're just waiting for the word, you know, uh, it's a challenge, right? It's a challenge. But somehow that process changes you. This is, this is the wonder of it. The, one, the wonder of it is not that occasionally he will say things. The wonder of it is that it changes you so much, transforms you. In, something goes on in the human heart. And he was waiting for us to get to the place where humility drew grace by which he said something. And we would, so all those days we would listen for an hour and a half or so and, and then, you know, stop and I, we'd say, has anybody heard the Lord? You know, uh, you make a cup of tea, back to listening for another hour or two. And then, you know, has anyone heard the Lord? And um, so come Thursday morning at 11.20, one of the pastors on the staff was not me, suddenly heard the Lord. And all the Lord said was this little sentence. The thing we'd been waiting for. He said, go back to the spirit of 93. I knew exactly what that meant. 
And uh, following that word, as we continued to pray and change things and put in place things, it, it turned the church right way up again. There's quite a story as to what that meant and a huge story as to what unfolded over the next two weeks as the Lord began to speak more, reveal himself. Uh, I had Christ come, stand in my room, speak with me face to face. We had the Spirit of God come. We had a church council prayer retreat for two days. Spirit of God came and so dealt with the leaders of the church. Huge, but it turned everything. But it all began with that one little word that came off this word, which is still there, for this people's heart has grown dull. So the lesson is, if you're back to the book of Hebrews, he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So that's, that's the lesson. Um, he goes on to explain the parable of the sower. And that's where, it, to me, the interesting, you've got four kinds of soil. Those who, those who are stony and the word does nothing, it's just gobbled up immediately. Those where the soil is shallow and immediately, oh, they're, they're happy, but it, there's not, it doesn't last, it never took root. The third one though, there's proper depth of soil, it takes root, the plant grows, it's alive, but it does not produce fruit. Because Jesus said the cares of this world, like, like in the garden, you, you plant lettuces in the garden, but, but all this other stuff springs up and it's taller than and bigger than and thicker than and crowds it all over. No, you're not, what, you, what you sowed is not going to be very good. And there are believers' lives like that. Jesus said that it's the cares of this world. It's what other people think and the deceitfulness of riches and a host of things that crowd out the heart so that even though the word of God is in there and believed, it is not fruitful. An unfruitful believer, presumably alive, but saved by the skin of their teeth, nothing to show for it, no fruit in eternity. You don't want to be like that. And it's a joyless way to live, you know, chasing the almighty dollar or or whatever it is, you know, just constantly living in burden rather than in the, the spirit of joy that comes from prayer. It's a fruitless way to live. But presumably you're alive and in the Lord. But, but Paul said, saved, but like someone leaping out of a burning house while everything goes down behind them. You don't want to be like that. You want to be a fruitful believer. This is the fourth kind of soil. David mentioned it. They produce, it's good soil, not, in other words, it's clean soil. This thing, this, what's planted can produce something 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And ever since 1979, this has been my prayer because I, I noted this in Scripture, this 36, 100-fold. And in 1979, I'm in the early years of my ministry and I'm thinking, ah, I, I don't think I could be a 100-fold believer but if I'm a 30, I want to be a 60. 
And so that was, that's made my prayer. I, I, I used to say, Lord, would you, would you make me a 60-fold instead of a 30-fold? You know, I, I wanted the Lord to get my fruitfulness up there and needed the Lord's help. And that's, that's what leads to this prayer. You know, Lord, would you make us fruitful? But it's not just fruitful as individuals. It's fruitful as a people. And that's the whole point of listening prayer. It's a corporate exercise. It's not just individuals sitting down hoping to hear something for the Lord. You, that's a bonus. The Lord, the interesting thing is, in the process of corporate listening, where we're, we're waiting on the Lord as a people, He has something to say to us as a people, the process actually requires Him to sort out all the individual issues of all the hearts who are sitting there. He does, that's, that's automatic. It's automatic that you'll get stuff for yourself. But you, but you come in with a big picture. The Lord has something to say to us as a people. So anyway, do your best to give some attention, to pay attention to the Lord in the week of listening prayer. And, um, and hopefully next Sunday I'll give you a few insights as to how to actually manage that time. I, um, I wanted to show you one or two more scriptures before we were done, but one in particular Seeing time is now gone. This is I-48. Let's put this up. Um, again, the Lord said this to Israel. In fact, this whole chapter 48, the Lord is constantly talking to them about listening and the need to listen and what he's had to say to them. And, but we get this little bit out of this chapter. He says, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you. Now, this is the whole thing about listening prayer. You're wanting to hear something from the Lord that you desperately need, or we desperately need, but haven't heard. He has something to say to us that's best for us. In other words, our greatest fruit bearing comes, or our greatest benefit, our greatest blessings, the greatest liberties in life come, when we hear the thing the Lord has to tell us that we're not hearing, rather than all the things we already know and assume. There's There's more to this than we know. So I'm the Lord your God who teaches you what's best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only you'd paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea, your descendants would have been like the sand, your children like its numberless grains. The name would never be blotted out nor destroyed from before me. No, there's, look, very unpredictable when we go our own way, even if we think all the while we're doing well. But when you put things more clearly, more definitely in the hands of the Lord and say, Lord, I don't, I know some things, but I don't know near enough. And, you, and you're willing to wait and you're willing to seek and you're willing to spend time with the Lord, uh, he opens up stuff. And we learned before that it was a very powerful form of prayer. We, we got prayers answered from sitting those few hours in listening prayer, some of which we had poured prayer into for two and three years of fervent prayer and could not get the breakthrough. But we got the breakthrough in silence. It's amazing how when we were willing to sit in the presence of the Lord and wait for Him, He went out and did stuff for us. And the other thing I say to people all the time is, you don't judge listening prayer by whether you heard the Lord in the hours that you were sitting there. 
because he generally uses those hours for the quietening of your soul and your willingness to wait upon him and spend the time and humble your heart. But he does speak. He tends to speak then because you did the listening as you go about your business. So your ability to hear the Lord greatly increases. Your discernment, your ability to see and to hear in life goes to another level as you continue with your life. It just wasn't obvious to you when you were in the listening prayer. So don't judge the listening prayer by what you heard and saw during its hours. The purpose is that you become a person who's not dull, whose ears have not been closed, whose heart has not been hardened. You live in the day that's still called today. Praise God. Well, we're going to, we're going to come to the Lord in prayer now. And first of all, we take a moment for you to just bring your own heart to the Lord. Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house. Jesus was faithful as a son over God's house. Jesus was faithful to the one who appointed him. You've got to think in Hebrews 3, that's a, an important theme right there, repeated. So in, in the closing moments of this meeting, could you, could you just pause in the presence of the Lord and think about the faithfulness of your own heart, first of all. And I'd, I'd invite you to pray and, and say to the Lord, you want a faithful heart, you need a faithful heart, and would, would he grant you grace right now, right in this very moment, to have a heart that is pure before him, a clean heart. Make this your prayer right now, just now. And, and Father, while all the believers are praying for themselves, I pray for them and I pray for myself as well. Ask the Lord that you'd grant me and all of us together a clean heart, a heart that is faithful, that knows the ways of the Lord and seeks them. Lord, would you open our ears to hear? Open the eye of our understanding. Would you open our hearts to understand? Lord, would you grant us these tender hearts that always seek after the living God? Thank you that you are a God who wants to be sought after and you look for, you look for people who seek you. We give thanks to you, Lord, that you hear our prayer. Friends, it was Psalm 53 where David said, God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, to see if there are any who seek after God. In other words, he's looking for you to draw near to him. That's 53. In Psalm 61, David again said, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Praise God. And um, Lord, would you put that tender heart, the same heart that David had 
A heart after God, a heart that follows hard after God. Lord, would you put that heart in every one of us, we pray today. That's our prayer. And thank you that you hear our prayer. Friends, we're going to pray one more prayer too, which I feel. We'll pray united prayer. We're going to pray for the king, King Charles. We're going to pray for him. We pray, most Sundays we pray for somebody who's sick and quite often it's someone with cancer. King Charles has been diagnosed with cancer. We're going to pray for him. And if you were, if you're British, or if Australia hadn't changed its national anthem, you would be singing quite often, God Save the King. I grew up singing God Save the Queen year in, year out. I must have sung that song hundreds of times. Every school assembly, every public meeting, we sang it. It was, it was very singable too. But do you know that all the words and all the ideas in God Save the Queen, actually God Save the King more accurately, come from the Bible. Oh God, save the King. Straight out of the Bible. Uh, you know, make his reign long and prosperous. Straight out of the Bible. <laughs> may live long to reign over us. No, no, very Christian. Anyway, I've sung that. You know, I could sing it now. <laughs> uh, send her victorious, we used to sing. Happy and glorious. Long to reign over us. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, it's a Bible idea. And besides, New Testament, Paul says, pray for kings and all who are in authority. We're going to do it right now. We can't do this sitting. We're going to do it standing. We're going to believe for the healing. Uh, uh, that's not all. What else comes to mind when we say, Lord, save the king? Queen Elizabeth had such a vibrant faith. She just knew the Lord. And she worshipped God. She walked with God. King Charles, he says he does, but we don't know whether he whether it's as alive for him as it was for her. We're going to pray that he really meet Jesus, that it's vibrant for him. Our compassion must go to him as it would for any other person. Anyone here today with us who said they believed in the Lord, but we weren't real sure, we'd be praying for them. Let's pray for him. Father, we lift our voices together. We pray for the King. And I ask you, Lord, that you would deliver him. I ask you to turn back the sickness, turn back the cancer and heal him. And I rebuke the cancer in his body and cast it out. We cut off the spirit of infirmity. We cut off disease, release him from it. Lord, give him good years. Lord, exactly what I would want for myself, exactly what anybody standing here would want would be to live longer than he does and to have good years and good health. Grant him grace. May you find grace with God today. And Lord, our prayer is save the king. May reveal Jesus to him. I pray, O Lord, you would yourself walk into his room and speak to his heart. Transform that man into faith so that he will be not just the defender of faith's some vague thing he said, but the defender of the faith. No, defending it in his own soul. Save the king. Lord, thank you that you hear our prayers today. We bless King Charles and all his family. Bring healing to that family. Bring healing, Lord, to every family, including our own families. This is our prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you hear our prayer. And now for a, dear friends, a, a final 
note of benediction. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I declare the blessing of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit over your heart, over your home, over your marriages, your lives, your families, and all that you do. The Lord bless you and keep you as his very own this day. The peace of the Lord Jesus rest on your heart. Amen and bless God.